Hello and welcome to the Grumpy Surfer Podcast. I'm your host, Ads Lyson. On the podcast today I have big wave surfing legend Andy Cotton. Andy is one of the United Kingdom's and the world's professional big wave surfers. Cotty is a guy as surfers we look up to, as he's dedicated his life to searching and riding the biggest waves on the planet. Please enjoy a Grumpy Surfer conversation with Andy Cotton. Andy Cotton, welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Right, should we talk about the surf this morning, or should well, we? Well, yeah, we can. Yeah, <laughs> should we do that? It's the third time we've had this conversation. Yeah, um, the surf this morning. Oh, I don't know about it. it. Was it was all right? It was. Um, I actually had a quite good surf uh, yesterday at, um, at the Middle Beach in between uh, Willowham and Puttsburgh. Okay, which was like I wasn't expecting it, so it was like a bonus. And then this morning I was uh, hoping for a, a little bit more, but I don't know. I just didn't really get the waves. Weren't, waves weren't as good as I expected. I don't know. Sometimes I just don't get into. It's like surfing, doesn't it? It's like some day, some days everything just flows, and other days if you don't get into that rhythm, and it can be like missing your first wave or falling on the first wave, and then you're in a bad rhythm, and then. And that was me this morning, unfortunately. Like, so yeah, never really happened. I mean, we've all seen the forecast before where, you know, you've got two or three days where it's supposed to be like super good. And then you rock upon the one day, like the first day you're going to go down. And it's like, you know, it's really good. And you go, tomorrow looks even better. And then you go and it's so rubbish. Yeah. Do, do you know, it actually, the, the lesson, yeah, it's like it's like the first when you're like on a surf trip and you check all the spots, and then it's always the first spot is is the best spot. You've driven around for three hours or whatever, but it's also it's like making the most of every session. You know, if it's good, it's good. Stay in. You know, like because tomorrow you just never know. You know, you can never guarantee it. You know, so especially in our country as well. You know, we're not exactly renowned for awesome waves all the time, are we? No, exactly. Or the other thing is like when you're in a good rhythm or a good flow it's like make make the most of that you know because there's plenty of times when you're not so yeah i wish i'd stayed in an extra hour last night <laughs> and not surf this morning but there you go. yeah yeah it's just one of those things isn't it like i do a lot of the podcasts what i'd like to do with you to start with that sounds quite sexual isn't it? <laughs> um what i'd like to do to start with let's go right back to the start you know where you grew up you know how you got into surfing and i grew up in, in i suppose like i think we moved to barnstall dad's actually original from originally from barnstall um but i i was born in plymouth and and was in plymouth until i was about seven or eight um and then we moved back to barnstall and yeah, I think my dad bought me surfboard, you know, or took me surfing when I was about yes eight, and and it was probably like his biggest regret <laughs> since then, you know, like um, I just enjoyed it, you know. I I sort of spent most of my like most of the time at school thinking about surfing, you know, dreaming about it. You go to school in Barnstable. I went to school in Barnstable, yeah. Um, I went to part school, secondary school. Um, but yeah, just there wasn't actually bizarre. There wasn't actually that many people that surfed at school, uh, you know. So I was there's only like a, a three or four of us probably, and then and, and, you know, in quite a big secondary school in Barnstable, you know, it's not that many. But yeah, it's sort of that's all I sort of thought about at school. I never didn't really 
do particularly well um, through school. So as soon as I had the chance to leave education, I sort of I was sort of out of that scenario and um, dreamed of being professional surfer. But you know, how do you even become a professional surfer? You know, it's not especially back then as well. Yeah, it was like professional big wave surfing wasn't even a you know that wasn't a career option and um, contest surfing. I don't know, like I don't know that it's. I, I suppose there's no even now, like I like you see kids that you know what's the route you know to be a professional surfing as you know i think there's a lot in other sports there is roots you know like a more of a trodden path yeah whereas surfing there's still not quite um whether that's good or bad you know i don't don't know but um my careers officer sort of suggested that obviously that professional surfing wasn't wasn't possible so a career within the industry um, which is actually, to be fair, like so. So I ended up like writing loads of letters to different surf brands, and uh, I got a, a, an apprenticeship in a surfboard factory, uh, Gulfstream in, in Woolacoon. Um So yeah, I went from school to Gulfstream, um, and and to be fair, it was like being a professional surfer. You know, I, I they were really good. We we worked flexible hours. You know, yeah, the work was hard, dirty, dusty, but you know, I was making surfboards, doing something I loved, and we surf all the time. So you know, it was it was it was a good compromise, really. You know, like I I managed to surf a lot through those younger years, and we travelled a lot as like a team. We only worked probably worked about nine months a year, um, and obviously like January, February, the factory would shut because there's like no one about. Um, so we'd travel and so yeah my hours my my hours of surfing were quite high those early years really. did you get into shaping yeah I did so I, I started doing thing repairs you know like like any sort of like you know apprenticeship you, you start with the, the shittiest jobs so it's like um, sweeping the floor and you know all the you know all the really horrific jobs and then um, sanding um and then I did a, a large stint of glassing. Uh, um, so I was just—I think I was glassing quite, quite, quite a few boards. Like I, don't, I can't you know, between four and six boards a day. We went through a period where we were making quite a lot of boards. Um, so I did a lot of glassing, and then I finished. Before, you know, I was there for probably just over ten years, and as I was sort of getting into the shaping, um, is when it sort of all, that all finished. I think I bought a Gulfstream board, you know, probably about 10, 15 years ago with some crazy like, little back tail thing in it. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty, pretty decent board. Yeah, no, like, to, like Julian uh, or Jules who, who shapes, you know, like it's those, it's labour of love, isn't it, you know? Like it's not, for the amount of hours that goes into a hand-shaped board, which the Gulfstream as well, you know, it's not computer-shaped, it's not, there was no machine, Everything was from from hand, from start to finish. Yeah, the amount of hours that goes into it, like, doesn't really put across the cost of the board when you actually look at it. You know, yeah. like, um, and how horrible it is to work in those sort of situations. You know, those those um, that environment, you know, dusty fiberglass, resins. Um, you know, it's, it wasn't nice work. But then, if you if you love it, and you know, you like you love making boards, and you love 
like seeing the boards that you make being ridden and you can make boards for yourself and it's like I don't know it was, it was just like it was just, it was a good, good experience and you know it was definitely a really good foundation for, for what for, for me you know regardless like the the industry um you know the amount of I had to surf and and you know the amount of fun I had I think it was a it was a good good option I'm so, I'm so glad I didn't go to college <laughs> or university and that. It was you know yeah, I think uh, I'd have probably taken a similar route to you, but you know, I'm from the from the Midlands, so you know, I, I didn't I didn't have the opportunity or the uh, you know the, I wasn't lucky enough to live by the coast. Yeah, but um, if I hadn't joined the military, I'd, I'd have probably ended up, you know, somewhere down in Cornwall or Devon or somewhere like that. Um, it, it was just kind of the path that you know it, it was it was inevitable to take, really. Yeah, it was it, like. It was funny because my my parents, you know, um, were kind of against it, and and actually that's how I ended up. Um, the reason I actually finished that job was um, was that sort of the pressure. You know, I was in my mid twenties, and it and it was that like you know you can't do this forever. You you travel three months a year. You know you. You're earning money, but you're not saving any money. You'll never get a mortgage. You'll never be able to afford anything. You know, it, it was almost that sort of thing. Like, um, you know, you've had your, you've left school. You've had your little bit of fun. Now you've got to get a proper job. Yeah. Um, and that that led me to sort of, well, I, I ended up doing an evening class as I was working in Goldstream to the evening class in plumbing, um, like an MVQ, like entry level. And then I did that for a, for a year and then I quit Goldstream and then I went into the apprenticeship and then finished my MVQ and then yeah went into the sort of plumbing the plumbing route you know which was the the, the proper job scenario you know that, yeah. that you sort of like get sort of pressured into not pressured into but um, I suppose you just feel like it's the right thing to do don't you um, which was good again like a, a good you know it was a good I, I I was never it, it it taught me loads as in like I didn't earn much money at Goldstream but it was a passion and I really enjoyed it and then I went to earning good money in plumbing but I couldn't stand it and I had no interest in it and even though I had more money I was sort of like you know I can't couldn't really see myself doing it for forever. It takes you away from what you want to do, though, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and you know, or, or like it puts value on stuff. You know, what do you value? Do you value time and and like being outdoors? And you, I don't know, because there was guys I worked with who were, you know, passionate about plumbing. You know, and, and that's because there's nothing. You know, it's and they loved it. And they, they, you know, they they were doing a dream job. You know, and um, and for me, it's just like it was just. Oh, I'm doing this because I can earn some money, you know. Or I've been told it's a good thing to do to earn money, to get a mortgage, to buy a house, you know. Uh, that all, it's all the things that I need to do. I think society is really bad for that sometimes, isn't it? Because they, it's almost like, you know, you're told you need to go to school, you need to get good GCSEs or whatever they're called now. You need to go and get A levels, and then when you've done your A levels, maybe go to university. If you can't do that, you need to go and get a trade. It's basically. The, the whole bringing up process of from, you know, the government schemes and all that is, you know, bringing you up to become part of the rat race. 
as yeah. opposed to like evolving you and saying, what would you like to do? What do you enjoy doing? Go and explore that. Yeah. Yeah. The, those, those actually, those choices, I, like I can remember like actually being petrified leaving school because it was those choices. Like, like you have to go to college. You have to go to university. If you don't go to university, you won't get a good job. And then, you, you know, you won't be able to, to, you know, you'll be, I don't know, it was just petrifying. And I can think, I can remember thinking like all my mates went to, to college and most of them went to university. And I can remember thinking, shit, you know, like, you know, it was really worrying, like, fuck, you know. And, and I think like that's not really, like, as I, as you get older, you know, like you sort of, you, you sort of realise, yeah, like, I, I, you know, not that I've applied for many jobs, but like, you know, really, I, I can't see the. You know, obviously there is massive benefit to getting university and getting a d- good, good degrees or whatever. But not not in everything. You know, like you don't have to. Like I don't think it make or breaks. You know how successful you'll be. <laughs> not that they made out to be at school. You know, like yeah. I think that goes to show that, like, especially when people pay all this money or they end up having student loans at the end of being at university, and then. It's almost like we talk, it's in the press and we talk about it that, you know, they feel like they're, they have a right to get a job when they come out of mm. it. Like there should be something there lined up for them where actually, you know, just because you've got a degree in something doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get a well-paid job once you've completed that. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It was just, yeah, I can remember it was just a worry, you know, and, and you know, my, my sister went to university and, and you know, she got, you know, the degree, and it's like that pressure, like, shit, am I doing the right thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, like, you know, it was, for, for me, it was, it was definitely the best choice. And then, then that, you know, do, doing the plumbing was, was, again, like, it made me realise, like, working out of surfing, and um, it's sort of, although it, there, it was really good skills to learn, and I'm glad I did it, and it was a good, like, I probably plumbed for, I don't know, five years, um, I, and I yeah, did my plumbing in five years in, in construction and stuff and again that was like a good it made me realise it's not what I wanted to do but it was a good experience you know and learning would you yeah. say this Covid period has also made you focus a little bit more on what actually matters to you as opposed to yeah it, again like like so I you know like I'm I'm 40 now and um, so I, I I came into like sort of professional surfing really late. Um, you know I didn't turn sort of professional until I was thirty three, um, and I very ambitious and I chase it a lot. And and um, you know this this year like I'd sort of finished my season in March, but I had like loads of talks and. Um, premier movie premieres and just sort of lots of lots of work like I, I make myself busy you know and and then be, being stuck at home for a period that I wouldn't have been stuck at home it's sort of spending time with the kids you know and like you feel like oh, I'm like you know I had loads of work cancelled loads of talks cancelled and you, know, you start stressing about income and that and but being in but being in the, the same place and spending time with the kids like it was, it was probably like the best best few months, especially those first, you know, six weeks to two, eight weeks. You know, when it was really um, quiet and 
you know, not, not many cars about, and, and not, the weather was nice, and you know, it was really, it's probably the best, best longest period of quality time I've had with the family in some time, you know. Do you reckon we'd have been screwed if this had happened in the winter? It would have been a lot harder. It'd been a lot tougher at home. Like, yeah. I think that was the, the godsend is that we we got into a really nice routine where, um, you know, you wake up, you do a little bit of schooling, you know, have breakfast, and then we'd, like, go outdoors for a, a period of time, like, cycling, walking, you know, um, and then you come back and then you have a TV time and, do you know what I mean? And it was just, it the, the days just, it was just like a dream, you know, like, and then it, and it, by, at the end of the month when I thought like, like I was dreading like the bills coming out and it's like, shit, I haven't spent any money. <laughs> like, like, hadn't driven the car, yep. hadn't eaten out, hadn't bought a coffee out. Like, it, and I was like, shit, I'm almost like not actually that, that much worse off. <laughs> what am I doing? Like, yeah, why like, am I chasing it so hard? Like. It's almost when you when you see those sort of things, and you know you you must have seen or read the books where you've got needs and wants. Yeah. You know you you need food, you need water. You know you've got your house and mortgage, so you need to pay that. But then your wants is like, yeah, let's go to the coffee shop for a coffee. Let's you know, and you're spending like your little five ten pounds here and there, and then that over time oh, just builds up, up so and then you're there. like that, and and then once that stops, like you're saying there, you're like, what actually was I doing? Yeah. Well, I was spending all my money on. Yeah, it it it, make, it does make you evaluate things and um, and put value on like like you know is it worth working? And this is going to sound quite you know like is it worth working or working that hard for? I don't know like how you value that. Right. So yeah, like I might like have a eat out a little like quite a bit or. You know, wouldn't think more of like getting a load of coffees or cake or you know, but you like you say it adds up, doesn't it? And um, but you know, just going home for that coffee or you know buying more, you know, food locally and eating at home or um, driving the car less, you know, um, cycling more. I don't know, like, but it means that you maybe you don't have to work or go to those jobs as you know. I don't know. It made me value different things and, and, and sort of reevaluate how much what I spend my time on and how I spend my money. I suppose. I mean, hopefully, this time has actually it has made people think what is precious to them and what isn't. Yeah, I, I feel myself sliding back into the trap though. Like straight away, is is I started driving my car again more, and even just to um, like at the beginning, I was cycling my bike. We we're all cycling our bikes everywhere. Like even you know, and now I'm I'm that 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 trap of like oh, I've only got an hour or I've only got like a couple hours to get quick surfing. Uh, I'll drive down or you know you start it start, and before you know it you're spending thirty forty quid again on petrol yeah. in, in in a week. Um, you know, and it's worse for the environment, and it's you know, and you're not as healthy. <laughs> and, but it does because there's there's more to do in the day you have to get more done like you know, maybe more, more work on or you know your, your time's been spread so yeah it's, it, it creeps back in slowly you know? well um just talking what you were talking about your parents before did did you um did your parents surf much or no um well my dad says he did but i don't think he did no my mum my mum didn't know my dad was a policeman and my mum was um okay 
a nursery school teacher or assistant, teacher okay. assistant. Um, so, yeah, they, you know, they weren't, um, yeah, they weren't, they weren't really surfers, you know. It was the classic um, old school approach uh, where my dad used to just, just drop me down the beach at like nine o'clock in the morning and then just say, yeah, I'll pick you up at four. <laughs> That'd be it, you know, like, um, which probably wasn't that safe. But yeah, that was just, you know, how how he did it. You know? Well, that that probably was your, um, your childcare, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's just like, <laughs> oh, you'd be all right. And like thinking back now, like I would never, you know, I don't know. Like I, I yeah, I, you realise how dangerous the ocean is, you know. Like, um, yeah, my dad used to sit in the car, we'd read the paper. I used to go down the beach. So I'd be howling on shore, like <laughs> massive, and it's just like, or you go, I'll pick you up in an hour or so, um, and that'd be that. I don't know how old I was when I was that. Maybe it was like thirteen, fourteen. I don't know. But yeah, it's like, you know, no lifeguards or no, no sort of surf lessons. Or yeah. like it was just uh, left to your own devices. Did you end up getting into the, uh, like the beach scene with like beach lifeguard and then while... Well, I did, um, I did the surf I saving. My, my parents took me to the surf I saving club at Saunton when I was, um, when I was quite young. So, well, it was almost like, I used to surf on like the Saturday and Sunday, and then the the Surfer Saving Club was like a Thursday night or something, um, which was like a great reason to go down the beach, and and it was good. It was really like I learnt a lot, um, and it's the thing, something that I'm like sort of make sure my kids do, which you know it comes with they're rebelling against it because they they want to always want to do those sort of clubs, but I learned so much, just how to paddle a board properly, rips, like being, it gave me so much confidence. Um, Cause you're not just, you're, you're with people that are confident in the water and you, you can see, you know, so it's something that I feel quite passionate about to, to sort of, regardless of whether my kids surf or not, is like making sure they're confident in, in something. You know, so if something did happen, they would be confident to get themselves out or help someone out. Yeah. You know? um, which I think is pretty important, you know. Well, I've I've been down at the beach and I've been I've been taking guys down to teach, and uh, you know I've pulled a few people out of the water. Mm. Um, not that I'm a hero or anything, but, <laughs> oh, but it's it's so gnarly. Like, yeah, like it's so easy to get in trouble, you know. And and if it's not your if it's not a natural environment to you, like, and you know that panic sets in, it can go south pretty quickly you know and, yep. it's, and it is like it's just managing again it's like managing you know fear doesn't kill you panic does you know as soon as people panic it goes you know and you can just see it you can almost sometimes spot it before five minutes before it happens you know like yeah I think it's crazy because I, I, I used to, it sounds going to sound a bit cheesy but I used to watch the uh, Bondi Rescue yeah, yeah. and um, you'd have like these uh, Japanese tourists turn up at Bondi when it's absolutely massive and there's loads of rips just and sandbanks exploding everywhere yeah and these guys can't even swim and they're going in the water it's like kamikaze style right? it's just like, like, like that like what like seriously what are you doing if you can't swim don't go in the water yeah but it, it's again it's like 
it's understanding how dangerous it is and, and that's what people don't and, and it freaks me out like um you know when when there is like accidents or it's people just not risk assessing or understanding it's like it is awareness. Yeah, like, you know, you go for a swim in January in a pair of trunks and it's like 10 feet on shore. Fuck, that's like, I wouldn't, that's dangerous, you know. Like, and it's bloody cold. <laughs> yeah, there's no way that I would do that, you know. Like, and then someone does it and then gets into difficulty and, you know, either has to get rescue or, you know, worst case scenario. It's like, well, that's no wonder, you know. They're not really understanding the, you know, their environment, you know, and, and um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty pretty gnarly, and it's, it's quite good to try and teach the kids, the kids that you know, like understand that, make make them realise, not scare them, but make you know, not, but make them understand. Yeah, I mean, I've tried to. I mean, my kids are super young anyway; they're three and eight, and um, trying to get them into the water. I mean, Exmouth's nowhere near like you know, um, like it's on the north coast, or you know, she doesn't catch the swell. But um, you know, they've only just started played in the water well, mm. well my eldest has anyway so um and uh i mean you know it's like trying to teach your own kids how to do something oh, I see, yes <laughs> I even, I it's ridiculous no uh and try to explain to them, like this is you know this moving water here can take you out there yeah. and then you know you've got the paddle out this way to get out of it yeah and that's what i think that's what the the you know like those sort of surf sailing clubs and the clubs and I think that's why they're so so good because it is really hard to te- to to get your own kids to listen to to do you know like I I've, I've at my my kids that you know twelve and eight and um you know they've they've been really lucky they've grown up you know around the beach and around the sea but for me to give them a surf lesson or for me to to try and teach them to, they just don't want to know. Like, yeah. <laughs> they won't listen, you know. Some of their mates, their mates, some of them, like when I, when I take them surfing, their mates, uh, they listen to me and they, you know, they, they want to learn. But, yeah. but it's you're better off like, you know, the, yeah, they want to listen to someone else's dad or you know, someone else. You know, they don't want to listen. They don't want to listen to me. <laughs> so uh, going back to plumbing, so you, did you did your five years of plumbing? Um, you know, what was the the change of mindset you had and from from there because obviously you, you know you didn't really want to carry on doing that anymore uh it wasn't really like the life goal was it um no i think i was just i i, I was just getting miserable and um and i actually had, i was i got like a full-time job with um like a solar panel comp solar panel company and we were doing underfloor heating and solar panels and it was like a good salary and uh but I was working away quite a lot, surfing less. And I was just, I, I think I was just like, I up one morning, I'm like, you know, I, I can't do this. Like, I'm, I was like nearly 30, or I might have been 30, I think I was nearly 30, and I'm like, if I've got to do this till I'm 65, 70, like, I'm going to be miserable. You yeah. know, like, and, and, so, and and I wasn't although I was earning good money I was spending loads in the pub and you know I was just like this is just sucks you know like and I and I'd, I'd been keeping obviously still keeping my hand in the surfing and, and I'd, throughout the years I'd um, knew 
where my strengths lie in my surfing. Like, you know, although professional surfing was contest surfing, you know, my my strengths and the most fun I've ever had was always in big surf. So let's talk about that. So how did you how did you realise that, you know, surfing normal I say normal, sort of like between three and five foot waves weren't really your thing. And how did you get into big wave surfing and uh, realising you were comfortable in that environment? Um, I'd always been comfortable, like, through, you know, I'd always been comfortable in the ocean and confident swimmer. And I really wanted to do well, you know, like, I really wanted to do well in competitions and be a, be a contest surfer. But my ability just wasn't there. Um, and... You know that that's hard to, to sort of you know because you want to push it and and um, and it was like traveling with friends and you know and guys you compete against you know they would absolutely smoke me in like two to three feet when we were traveling but as soon as the waves were getting bigger I could just sort of see their approach changing and mine not and my you know and and where I was like super like feeling. I don't know, like confident or like happy to paddle into, you know, six to eight foot waves. They were maybe sitting on the shoulder and not so, you know. So it's sort of, I sort of become, okay, right, these guys are better surfers than me, you know, that without doubt, technically. Mm. But as the, the, the conditions were changing, I was coming into my strengths, you know, like, and it's like, you just got to play to your strengths, haven't you? You know, you got you got to realise that even though, it wasn't really the path into like sponsorship or you know because it was never going to win a competition because competitions are generally in two to three feet beaches you know at home or foot smaller you know that's that's the, that sort of stuff as i was never going to get through here i think that's also a mindset thing though isn't it as well um you know if you're if you're constantly focusing on technique and you know where you were doing your critical maneuvers on mm. a certain part of the wave, that's good. But I mean, you can you can see it as a good example on the um, uh, you know on the CT, you know, on the WSL. You've got guys that are really really good in you know sort of like beachy waves, like your Philip mm. Toledo's and and um, and all those sort of people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then stick them in like overhead pipe. You know, yeah, six to it, ten foot, they they ch- it changes. Yeah, I, th- I think like now, like the young young kids coming through, like the top guys in the world, are be- you know they have to 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 perform and, and all you know, like the new big wave guys coming through, like the younger kids, you know they'll paddle into like thirty foot Nazare, uh, they'll tow into eighty foot Nazare, but they'll also pump massive airs and the you know in a two foot beach break. And that's just you know just that how the way the sports moving now, but but you know back then yeah like it it was you know there is still you know like people aren't always transcending against all, you know all, all the sort of um, conditions, but it, it was also about enjoy enjoyment and I really did genuinely love like bigger bigger waves you know like I loved like being in that sort of shit, what's going to happen now sort of scenario. I can, it, ma- I can imagine it's quite like going into a fight, you know, if you're a professional fighter, you, you, um, you've you done all the training, you've done all the build-up to it, 
you know the you know the fight's coming up and before you go out there you know there's going to be massive crowds and stuff and your adrenaline's flowing and all that sort of thing and you get out there and you do the business um, and you know you, you get out there and, and do what you've been training to do and I can imagine I mean I've no, nowhere near served the size of stuff that you have but I can imagine again going back to mindset having that mindset we're going I've done this before um, and the adrenaline that you'll get from it before you go out to it can be quite quite addictive, I imagine, as well. Yeah, for sure. It is. I think, it, you know, like I don't, I don't feel... I try not to sort of say it's an adrenaline sport, you know, because... But then, there are, you know, because it is about, you know, mindset, flow, time slowing down, you know, like... But maybe that's what adrenaline is, you know. Maybe that is like it's not what people think, like that fast pace, you know, yeah. macho chest beating sort of thing. It's like a, you know, it's like a meditation, you know, like slow, calculated, understanding it. But that confidence will also come from, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, because you pair you you kind of pair up, aren't you? When you when you get in towed in, yeah, yeah. You know, you've got to have that confidence in the other person when you're getting whipped into something you know, that's bigger than a house. Um, if you do come off, which you have done, there's going to be guys there that are going to turn around and come in and get you out and you're going to have that confidence to do that too. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's it's teamwork and it's having, you know, but, and, and I think, you know, big wave surfing it has different sort of, um, you know, genres and, and up to a certain point, you're very much on your own, like up to about 20, 25 feet. And then as you start getting bigger, like to the, the biggest days at Nazare, it's about, yeah, working, communication, working on a team, having a plan and, and like keeping on, there's like a zone, you know, like where you're not absolutely shit in your pants, you're making stupid mistakes and fucking everything up to being just on point, just in a zone where like everything's slow, but, but in time in movement you know movement in time of the flow of the ocean um you know and you you like i've worked like the last couple of years i've worked with a few different people and sometimes i can just instantly tell like i get on a jet ski with someone and they're like too trigger happy like driving too fast everything you're like fuck this is gonna be horrific like, i don't want to surf for this guy like yeah you know it's just too too fast too too like on edge too adrenalized too like way like whoa like you want them to be like focused, confident, but not like fast and reckless. You know, it's like a real, and you can, I can really, I think, you know, you can pretty much sort of see what that sort of person's like within a few minutes of being with them in a situation. You know, like whether they're like skay and adrenalized, like you know psycho sort of like or whether they're like yeah okay right we, we know what we want to do yes yeah, you know this is they want to take the time a little bit watch it a little bit you know see how the waves are breaking and how they're going to approach it and because uh, yeah it, it's really easy to get super hurt or you know die or you know whatever yeah. you know like um so yeah it's it's, it's nice to work with guys that are the head heads but I don't want to say screwed on because no head screwed yeah. on but they're like you know they're sensible and know what the repercussions if you yeah. fuck it up is or they're focused enough to have their goals but and know 
and understand risk versus reward. Yeah. You know, like um, where some people are just happy to risk it all, you know, and not really, you know, it's just not really work where it's at, is it? When did you, um, when did you realise, so from the point where you were going around with the guys and you were surfing smaller stuff and then you started getting to bigger waves, did you, were you sponsored with smaller waves sort of stuff or? Yeah, I, I'd always, I'd have been lucky to have support from different brands and when I, um, you know, not not so much through, like, when I left my plumbing job, um, I started doing a bit with a company called Analog. Um, it's a, a brand uh, which is owned by Burton Snowboards, um, American brand, and they and I was sort of like working for them a bit, but also they were supporting me surfing. So they, it was like a really good us. You know, it wasn't much money, but it was enough to just, you know, fund a bit of the winter missions, you know, chasing. And I sort of took took a different, I took a step back and rather than um, spend money on like long haul trips and big trips, I sort of focused more in Europe. And the cheapest place to go and stay and hang out was Ireland. Okay. Um, so, you know, rather than spending the couple grand that I was getting sponsored, on like a trip ticket to Hawaii, which would last two weeks, I would like, okay, right, well, I can rent a house for, you know, a fraction of the price. I can live in Ireland, it's cold, but they get, the waves get massive, um, you know. And it was like a little bit of a, a gap in the market at that point where like um, big wave surfing was starting to blow up in, in the States and Hawaii, but Europe were way behind. And an Ireland was just, like the potential was just coming out, like how big the waves were, and um, me and my mate invested in a jet ski and um, just basically just try to copy what we were seeing on YouTube, you know, of like Laird and you know some of the guys that were starting to toe surf and the waves that they were getting. We were like, oh, let's let's try and do that. Yeah, I, I remember seeing footage of people when it first started to become become a thing. Um, towing into waves people using like zodiacs and power yeah. boats and stuff yeah. and I was like, there was no way you catch me doing that that's horrendous <laughs> yeah no we we sort of it was kind of hard to get the information and know what you what you want to do but um there were like a few people out there willing to share information and um and you know grab grasp of what we should be how we should be setting up the ski what we should be using and um, you know, we had we again. You learn from your mistakes. We had like, we had made some horrific mistakes. You know, like I, I had to get well, I got airlifted one time in Ireland, and um, again, like just fucking st- like stupid stuff. Which which now, like looking back, I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Like, but it, it, we needed to go through those. We needed to make those mistakes to, you know, just to understand it. You know, like. And it was, it, and it can be frustrating. And there's so many points where I can almost gave up. I was like, this is just such so frustrating. I can't be dealing with it. But, but um, you know, you, you don't do. You know, you're sort of driven by by passion. And and you know, I was lucky to to be surrounded by some people that are quite motivated and sort of kept, you know, kept, kept me going. You know, when did you find the point where you know you knew this was going to be? 
you knew this was going to be a career because obviously you've gone out to Ireland with a friend with a jet ski that you just bought and you're whipping into some you know bigger waves obviously you know you, you had to get someone to shape your boards and stuff because because uh big wave boards are different to um normal stuff we were all again we we're always sort of making it up and it is again we we start getting a bit more press coverage and you get a few shots in the mags and you know you you start getting known as a, a big wave surfer and i always never really sort of saw myself as a big wave surfer i was just a surfer you know um and I don't know, like I never really, I always sort of treated it as a profession, so yeah. I was quite serious about it. Um, but I never really thought I'd be doing it full full time, you know, or, or making, I never really was bothered about making money, I just wanted to do it, you know, like, it's like as long as it paid for itself. And, you know, I started, then I started lifeguarding in the summer and then sort of, um, and then just focusing on the, on the big waves in the winter in Europe. Um, and then then I started, I met Garrett, then I went to Portugal, started working with Garrett, and then... It's Garrett McNamara, yeah. Garrett McNamara, yeah. So where, where did you meet him? He, I did a, I did a jet ski course um, down, a, a, a course called K38 uh, course. It's like um, a tow surf and rescue course. And... Um, and that I just did it for my, my, my me and my mate did it just because obviously we were wanting to be learn and and know techniques of rescue and but you know how to how to do it safer, and uh, and then he came to Europe, and he was friends with the person who designed the or come up with the course in in the states. It's like a like an American course. It just comes to the UK, and I did it in the UK down in Newquay. Um, and he phoned up the the person who, who Sean Alario, who 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 runs the course and the accreditation, and said, oh, "Ah, do you know anyone can drive a jet ski in Europe?" And I, me and me and Al had just done the course, and they obviously looked at the, you know, not many people had done the course at that point, and they're like, "Oh, yeah, there's two guys in the UK who've just done the course. You know, maybe speak to them." So then he got hold of Al, said, "You know, like how confident you're on the skis and." We're like, yeah, yeah, we've just done our course, <laughs> you know, like we're pros. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're pros. And I was like, and then he said, it was like, oh, how confident you are driving a ski in a beach break? And and we're like, yeah, yeah, no worries. And I was like, Fuck, we completely winged it. <laughs> I, 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 at that point, we were, you know, I'd never really driven a ski in a beach break over like one foot. All the stuff we'd done in Ireland were on reefs and slabs, so you don't. It's quite simple and easy to, to tow those waves. You know, they always break in the same place. You don't have to punch any waves. It's like the you don't have to rescue anyone straight away because they just get pushed into the channel real quick. Yeah. But we just said, yeah, you'll be fine. And and then before we knew it, we were down at Nazare, like shit in our pants. It's like, what have we got ourselves into? Did you know much about Nazare before like, while you were in Ireland? Was it something that you had like on the radar? No, because it, at that point, it was like Garrett was one of the first guys to go there and, and tow surf it. Um, I'd known... I'd, have known of Nazare. It was a place that we used to go if we were in Portugal and it was flat. So it was like, okay, if, if ever it was flat, Nazare would be, there was usually waves at Nazare. Yeah. Um, but never as like a big wave destination, you know. Because um, it just popped up on the radar all of a sudden, didn't it? And yeah. Then... It was weird, you know, like to think, but it just takes the logistics and the skill set to, to surf that place. It's just, 
it's just a lot you know it's a lot of hassle it's a big lump of water isn't it's it? it's a lot of water moving it's it's there's a lot of energy in, in that corner there by the lighthouse and um and it's it can be deceiving you know really deceiving um but yeah like garrett had it, the whole thing was really luck you know so garrett got us down there and he had just signed a a deal with the city hall to promote nazare as a big way spot okay um and obviously you know he needed he needed a team of people to to help him do that you know he couldn't do that alone and at first we were just there i think he'd like he'd he'd already had a few people come and try and team up with him some local portuguese people and a guy from france and within like you know hours they'd written off skis and were like fuck this like you know this is ridiculous you know garrett you know he was one of the best guys in the world you know to to take that on really and um and he yeah he basically just just taught us really or you know how to approach it and and I was like a sponge because for me it was like one he was my hero he was you know like he was it was like fuck, I can't believe this opportunity like a guy from Hawaii is going to come to to Europe and you know, I just paid 500 quid to do a course. This guy's going to come here now and teach me for free and pay me. <laughs> like, well, like, I think we're getting paid like expenses and we had, you know, it was, just, it was just like, what are you tripping? This is amazing. You know, like it was, you know, it was scary. It was, you know, he, he was focused and probably really frustrating for him. You know, like there's a lot of shouting and like, what the hell are you doing? You know, like he, had a bit, he was really knew exactly what he wanted. And how to do it, you know? Yeah. But he was dealing with two two complete novices from, you know, England and Ireland <laughs> who had never driven a jet ski on a beach before. He basically lied to him down. Yeah, the yeah, <laughs> yeah, just to get there. But um, but it's amazing how like if you really like I, I can remember being uh, the first time like I was just doing the water safety, so I was just back up skiing, and um. You know, I was like petrified, like, like you know, I, was, I wanted to be there, but I was hoping you didn't have to do anything, you know, like, so you want to be there, but you don't really, you know, you just want to be there, but you don't really want to be there, if you know what I mean, if that makes any no, sense. Just... You know? And um, hoping that I didn't have to do anything and, and that he fell on a wave and it was like, shit, I'm actually going to have to go in and rescue him. And I kind of like, sometimes just, again, like, it just all happens supernaturally and, I think the first, and I think this is what gave Garrett the confidence to to want to work with me more. Is like I went in, like somehow managed to do the perfect sled pickup, like tanked it to the beach before we got to the beach, like massive one eighty, started like punching through white water and then like picking my way back out. And I just it went into autopilot. You know, it just all naturally happened. Like I'd been shitting it. Like oh, I hope I don't have to do this. I don't have to do this. And then it was like. It just happened, and I managed to somehow pull it off, you know, like, and I think just that first exchange with Garrett, he was like, shit, okay, well, you know, he, he can pull yeah. it out the bag. It's actually pretty good. Well, not, I think it's pretty good. I think I fluked it, but it's just like, you know, it just things clicked, you know. Well, where... you must have drilled that a million times before you actually had to go and do it. So it was almost like 
you know, natural, you, your motor responses are, are there, that you know what to do, it's just applying it. Yeah, I, or, or not overthinking it. And again, it's like being in that zone where like, you know, you have to, obviously there's a bit of fear and respect, so you, you're cautious, you know, but you're not fucking petrified where like you're losing losing it and making stupid mistakes or driving too fast or driving too slow or, you know, like. And then, again, like being in the ocean... It's just ocean time, you know, like reading waves and stuff. You you have naturally from being spending, you know, so much time in the ocean as a kid and through, you know, so. So yeah, it all sort of comes comes together, you know. When did the uh, did he turn around one day and go right, Cotty, you're having one? Uh, well, that's the thing. So we were never there to surf. We were there just to help him, but. You know, I, I knew, you know, Garrett, he wants, he, he's very like, uh, you know, he's changed those now, you know, like he's, you know, that's ten, it's 10 years ago now, like, like he was at the, the peak of his career and, you know, focused, he, he was yet to get the world record, which he did like in 2011 or 12 or something. But, um, so I was just there as safety, backup safety. And then um, after dry, doing safety for a bit, he was like, okay, right, can you stop towing me? And then, you know, it just naturally is like he can't, he can't surf all day, you know, like it's fucking knackering being dragged around on a rope and, you know, 30 miles an hour over chops and bumps and, and that. And yeah, very quickly we were just swapping part, you know, changing over. And, you know, he, he, he's just, again, he's a guy that's super passionate, loves surfing, loves catching waves, you know, um, just loves toe surfing and so yeah very quickly it was it, it was like payback you know like and yeah it's good it's good a lot, a lot of I learned a lot in a few years I learned so much um of not just how mindset how you approach waves but also like what you can survive and being petrified like we're like as you know the natural human instinct is to keep yourself out of those situations but when you put yourself in, into them it's amazing what what we can put ourselves through and come out the other side yeah i think some some people have got that natural instinct where you know it is the fight or flight isn't it um you know whether you're going to stick to it stick to your guns put your feet into the sand and you go right let's have it or the, the other people that would probably go ah nah you're right um, you've you've got to have that. What what my point being is that you've got to have that willingness to want to do it in the first place yeah, to put yeah. yourself in that situation. Yeah. Um, I mean, a, a average normal human. I mean, some people might call you fucking psychotic for doing yeah. those sort of things, <laughs> but you know, the normal average human being, you know, wouldn't even jump on a skateboard and go down a little two foot yeah, ramp, yeah, let alone yeah. you know, you know, fifty sixty foot wave. You know. Yeah. I suppose it's just it's just what wanting it and but also having so it's been passionate about something but wanting it but also learning to enjoy worse you know as well I, I learned like um, which again like probably is a little bit psycho you know Garrett like to 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 achieve like what you got whatever your goal is so, so the goal is to you know ride you know an eighty foot wave or you know however big 
doesn't matter how big it is, you know, whether it's 20 foot. So let's just say 20 feet. Say it's 10 feet wave. You want to ride a 10 feet wave, yeah? Yeah. You know? So Croydon, it's the biggest day ever, you want to ride it. But to ride that wave, you know, you're going to have to go through, to ride that one wave, you're going to have to go through about hundreds of fails, without a doubt. So you have to learn to enjoy the fails to even get a chance, uh, even the chance of, or the opportunity to ride the 10 foot wave safely. And Garrett sort of taught me that, like learning to enjoy those worst moments, because if you don't enjoy the worst moments, you won't get a chance to enjoy the best. You know, right? and, and how he sort of, his mindset on like going through the falls on the 60 foot wave is like, you know, he, he, he loves that shit. <laughs> he loves it. And if and if he didn't love it, he wouldn't be out there trying to catch an eight foot wave because he he'd be like fuck if I fall on this, it's gonna be, you know. He, 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 I don't, and I and then I start putting it together. I was like shit, you like you have to be, you know, you have to learn to love, you know, falling off, wiping out, because you know if you don't, you'll never you'll never do what you want to do. And what I want to do is ride some of the biggest waves in the world, and and that was going to be the barrier to stop me. You know, like. If I was going to be petrified or scared or, um, you know, or, or not enjoy it. Would you say that the, the kit and equipment, obviously 10 years ago, you know, or the, the, the sort of like the first, when people first started towing into waves, obviously it was really sort of prehistoric, the kit and the equipment. Yeah. And now to where it is now, you know, you've got exploding vests that oh, bring yes. you straight back up. And, you know, God, I remember watching a documentary with um, oh, Shane Doreen mm. and he had a flipping life preserver on, you know, like like a, like one you'd wear on a, uh, on a boat yeah. like, to go sailing. Yeah. And it's like, that, mate, that, is, that just get ripped off. Yeah, it's just yeah. going to come off. Yeah. Yeah, no, it has, you know, it has developed a lot. And, um, yeah, definitely in those first few years of, Toe surfing in Ireland, we didn't really have any safety stuff. Fuck, you know, like um, I think we had like a kayak fest. <laughs> Do you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like. Um, but people that like, if if you say that to people and you say, "Right, I, I've I've been riding thirty to forty foot waves um, on a eight foot, seven foot surfboard." With a kayak vest on, oh, I know to bring me back up again. I think you're mental. Well, and and the thing is, like now, like I wouldn't even dream of doing that. You know, like I'd be like, I, if someone turned up with a kayak vest to go surfing in Ireland at Mullamore or something, like that, I'd be like, don't let him in the water. This guy's, you know, he's gonna gonna drown. You know, but <laughs> yeah. but at, at that point, there we didn't. There wasn't, you know, the brands weren't making safety stuff, and and it was almost. Like I can remember being in Hawaii those first few years and, you know, surfing like 15, 20 foot Waimea and everyone was just in skins. Like no one was like, no one, like safety impact vest or inflatable vest was just like unheard of. Well, inflatable vest didn't exist, but even like an impact vest wasn't, you know, heard of. But you know, recently, a couple of years ago, I was in Hawaii, in Waimea, and every single person had um, some sort of inflate on them. So either either like an impact suit, so which had flotation in it in, in the suit, or an inflatable vest. You know, like everyone. So so how that, it's because I think, I don't know, like it wasn't cool or it wasn't, you know, like it wasn't sort of seen as like, oh, if you, if you need it float, then you obviously shouldn't be out there 
was was the mindset to that or, or like what people thought well it's, I think if you go back and look at the documentaries and stuff that people have put out over the last 20 or 30 years it's the waterman mindset isn't it it's like you if you're using outside external things to keep you safe then you're not perceived as the ultimate waterman yeah whereas like now people are that okay that was a good mindset to have then but technology's moved on and I actually like living. Yeah, yeah. I don't or, want to drown. Or, yeah, and not just that, because I, I think now I look at it, it's like, if I, the more energy I can preserve, the more ways I can get. So, like, and, and I use that with my... So I didn't have an inflatable vest for years, like, and myself Nazare for probably, like, five years without an inflatable vest. Um, just inflate, you know, like, um, float. So uh, I had, um, like, a... a a jacket that Tiki actually made me custom made me like a like a um, thing I used to wear in my wetsuit you know so it wouldn't get ripped off and um, just to give you extra float um, but it but now then now I've got an inflatable vest and and I pull it all the time and it's not about thinking oh, I'm going to be too long in the water it's about the sooner I'm up the sooner I can get rescued the sooner I can get another wave you know the more energy I can preserve you know so it's about you know, give, putting you know, a few extra rides onto the session, or saving that energy because you never know when you when you when you might need it. You know, you but, could almost compare that to uh, having extra volume in your board now because you know that's the way things are going with board design yeah. and stuff, isn't it? Yeah, you yeah. Know, you get more waves, so you put a life preserver on, or you know, uh, an inflation vest, and boom, you're back out again, and you're good to go. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and and yeah, and and it is. I think maybe it is also like the waves and the approach is getting pushed drastically as well. You know, like people are going, taking those risks, you know, or, or, you know, going bigger and deeper. And, um, so yeah, you know, I think the risks are being. Would you say that having a family and stuff as well, that plays a little bit into, um, more of the safety side of it as well, because, you know, they, not so much reliant on you, but I, that you know, you, this is your job. Yeah, but there's an element of risk to it, isn't there? Yeah, I think with the with the family, I think it just it motivated it motivated me to to be yeah to be more serious, you know, like um, and to treat it to, to treat it more professionally, which obviously you know. Being professional is just like eliminating risk, you know, like you say, you know, like, and that's not, you know, I would never do anything that I thought that I might not make or, you know, it was too dangerous. You know, like I, I quite seriously, I don't know, that might sound ridiculous, but, you know, you, you do calculate it, is it worth it, you know, and you'd be happy to you know, I'm totally happy to to not surf and to not risk risk injury and to you know like I I pick my moments. Um and it's just about being professional, you know, and and that I think that's that's what having a family motivated me to do, you know. And it made me really want it as well. It was like, you know, you see that opportunity and you're like you know, the opportunity was get into work with Garrett and it's like now or never. You know, like this is it's either put everything into this and do your best 
uh, or you know, be, it's either this or you know, maybe in a few years be plumbing, you know, back in Barnstable. Or, you know. But then you know, you, you kind of you um, you and Blakey, you know, you're quite active on social media with, with you know with um, with all your yoga and your physical preparation and all of that as well is you know something that if you're not physically prepared then you can't mentally prepare to put yourself into those situations as well yeah um you know where you know it's i think it'd be quite easy especially sort of like going into competition surfing you don't really have to physically prepare to do that i know um professional surfing now has has gone to that high level yeah they do yeah but yeah, I know what you're saying, but I think, like, for, for me, like, regardless of whether I was doing big wave surfing for fun or, or as a job, I think I'd always want to be physically fit, you know, like, regardless, you know, of what I was doing, um, just because it, it, yeah, it, it brings so much happiness, you know, like, and makes me feel good, you know, like, 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 like I need to get out, I need to ride a bike and go and see I need to be doing something you know and I and I think you know that's it's it's act, being active is so important for, for happiness right regardless yeah when was the uh, first sort of big wave competition you did do you remember that uh, I think that might have been in 2009 or 8 something like that okay um, there was um, there's a there's, there's like a professional tow tour or tow surfing tour or, or something like that there's been a few like I, I've always and again it's like um, it's always, it was in Oregon in um, in the States and then we did one in Chile as well um, but it's always you know you it's always tough to get into those, you know, you gotta, you gotta kick and scream, you know, like, um, cause it's easy to just go under the radar or not be noticed or be forgotten about, or, you yeah. know, you gotta let, you know, let people know that you're there. And I think, I think like, you know, we were like, um, the first couple of times we were like token, you know, the token UK or Irish team or, you know, um, but then, you know, coming into like when big wave surf surfing sort of taking off in in Europe, and with them actually realizing that actually yeah, Europe does has giant waves and the potentials, how big it gets, it's like, you know, you get taken a bit more seriously. You know? Yeah. No, and it's well, like I was saying when Nazare first started coming onto the radar and people were seeing it like how on earth did no one know about this in the first place because it's you know it's just what 30-40 minutes north of Erisera isn't it yeah. you know with some epic it's I think it's um, it, it, people always knew it was there it was just you know there are so many good waves in, in along that coast and when Nazare is good there's a couple of other really other good big wave spots which um, are more predictable and and friendly yeah um, it was just working out how you could do how you could, like one 
how big it was because no one with, with no one in the water, it's impossible to tell how big the waves are. Yeah. Um, and then two, it was uh, how to do it safely. So it was took took time, you know, to to work that out. You know, with having like not just one ski, having a backup ski, having someone on the cliff. Again, it's logistics of like you know looking at it from a not from a surfing perspective. <laughs> No, because surfers just want to go surfing. They're like, and they, the less people involved, the easier it is, isn't it? You know. Like, yeah. Um, and if you've got toe surf, like getting you and your mate and a jet ski is hard enough. Like that, like, going trying to find someone else to do safety, and then finding another mate who can under, who understands the ocean, who wants to stand on the cliff and and sort of, you know, either again he's a, a spotter, so he's doing safety or you know calling for waves or you know telling you what what it's looking like, you know. And, so again, you you start the it starts getting bigger and a bigger machine, and it's like fuck, it's like more hassle, and it's like is that is that the setup then? So I, I mean, from my sort of like um, awareness, really, is that I always thought that it was just you and your buddy that was on on the jet ski, and he whipped you into some, and then you went and uh, he come and pick you up if you fell off. And... Um, yeah, it is to a certain size, um, and then. And then you need like a backup safety because it like this it's so easy to flip a ski or lose a ski, and then, and then you you then you're fucked. You know, <laughs> like like you are you know you need a second. Where ski. you swimming? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, but more importantly, you need then you need a spotter and communication between all the skis because, like, if if I was to go in and lose the ski, I need someone to tell me. I need someone to tell the safety ski that I've lost the ski and I need picking up. Yeah. And and then and then the other thing is like even if if I it's very easy to lose someone as well. And um so I might tow my mate in, he might fall, um and then you're like looking it's like looking for a needle in a haystack sometimes, you know, like so then I need communication as well, like okay, right, he's drifting towards the rocks, he's already on the beach. You know? Oh, he's, sometimes you can go back out to sea. You know, the rips can kick in and go nuts. Like, yeah. I might go on the inside and then 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 you, your man might float back out to sea and then, and, and then might get caught by another massive wave, you know. Like, I think for for that, for Nazare in particular, it's like the, the easy bit sometimes is the surfing and the hard bit is, is like once you kick out the wave is when the nightmares can begin, you know, like... Yeah. Um, I think anything you know, if you if you used maybe sailing as an example, and you did like a a long range. So let's say you you you're sailing from the west coast of America to I don't know the islands in um, I don't know Fiji or somewhere like that. The planning that you're going to have to do prior to that, going into it, you're looking at all your variables. What could happen? What happens if something happens here, here, and here, and here? And if you don't have those dynamic risk assessments, like you were talking beforehand in place, and you're just kind of winging it, then you kind of go, "Yeah, this is this is not going to work, is it?" Yeah, and the, and you and you can, and obviously you can wing it, and I have winged, you know, winged it, but also. Again, it's like learning from experience, you know. Yeah. Like we were, we were winging it in Ireland, you know, and some of them went, some of it went well, some of it went terrible, you know. And you can get away with winging it for so long, but it's gonna come back to to, to haunt you. And at some point, maybe, maybe, maybe get away for for a long time. But 
as the as the waves get bigger, the risks become higher, and and you know, and the more professional you become, the more professional you're treating it, you got more to lose. You know, like, yeah. and at the end of the day, like the waves, it's all about, and, and that's I don't think people sort of real realize is that there's so much training, preparation, ironing out all the the, you know, it's that repetitiveness of like thousands of hours of training maybe to for like one day because there's only like you know maybe one day of the year that it's like the day you know so it's all that behind the scenes thing for maybe that one like a few seconds you know of the day and what you just want to eliminate is like for anything to go wrong on that day but you and I know that elements whether it's the ocean the weather or anything it is so unpredictable and we are but a mere little speck, a molecule within that whole environment yeah. and it can just smash you yeah. and and not even think twice about it, like, you know, um, especially when you're, uh, when you're doing certain things like big wave surfing. Um, when you were talking about, you know, the spotters and the, and the safety ski drivers, how did that work with the recent WSL event that happened at Nazare? So, you know, obviously you're competing against each other. So how does the spotter and all that sort of thing work? Um, So we had, so the idea is that you work within your team. So we had, um, so it was me and Tom Butler, um, and then we had a spotter. So we, we plan just to, the whole time just to work as in a three. Um, But if anything went wrong, then the WSL would have, have their safety team. So if I flip the ski... Or if I couldn't find Tom, or you know, then then the WSL would kick in with their with their safety program. You know, right, oh, cool. Um, but it's 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 hard, you know, and it's there's no. Well, look what happened at the end of the event. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and it's it's this, yeah, it's just it's so hard. What, what was the what was the guy's name? It's Hugo and Alex. So Alex was, I think, like he was unconscious, not breathing for. Fucking long time, like yeah, ten like, minutes. Or yeah, it was like. eight to ten minutes, wasn't yeah. it? And before they even pulled him out. Yeah, um, but that just goes to show, you know, it wasn't even surfing. He's on the back of a jet ski. You know, he'd yeah. already been rescued. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it just goes to show how dangerous it is. You know, it's not when it's not always what how, what you think it is. You know, like you'd say, "Oh, big way surfing," you might drown because you fall off, and you know. You, the wave pushes you too deep, but you don't expect to be hurt on the back of a of a jet ski after you've been rescued. But you know, it's yeah. just how it's just how it gets. I think this brings perfectly on what I wanted to talk to you about. With um, you know, you broke your back, didn't you, a couple of years ago? <laughs> yeah. Um, just 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 talk us through, you know, catching that wave because did you, did you win the WSL wipeout of the year for that as well? Yeah, yeah, it's wipeout of the year. Which you don't. You, it's not. It's not one. You don't want too many of those, do you? I've you know? I've got the impression from talking to you previously that you're not really too happy about that. Either. Uh, no, well, it's 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 funny. Like the obviously the ambition has always been to win, win you know, win an award for your sport, isn't it? Yeah. But that's like sort of one of the awards that you don't really want. Yeah. Or you know, you know, I suppose it shows you trying. I suppose, but you don't want too many of those those awards. You know, so. I mean, when I when I watched when I watched it, and. Um, if anybody's listening, you can go onto YouTube and, 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 and watch this. 
you know, when it because it came, the lip literally landed on top of you, didn't it? Well, it didn't. It didn't. You know, and that's what I thought it was going to. It landed like literally inches behind me. Do you want to talk us through it? Talk, talk yeah. us through from the takeoff and stuff. I just. It was just again. It was like one of those days. It was one of the days of the year, you know, and um, and there's there's moments, you know, you, when you look at those forecasts and you you wake up in the morning, you check the ocean, you're like, all right, well, so, something's going to happen today. It's like a career maker, you know, like so. For those days, for me, it's about you, you work in your team, but it's also about timing, but also about like. There's some days which are worth full commitment, you know, like it's all or nothing, and and there's other days that are not. So you risk assessing, you go right. Well, this is the day, like you know, I'm going to send it. You know, like it's 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 where I could make my career. You know, like um, and yeah, it's just my probably my third or fourth wave, and it's like a really just really like a probably one of the better ways of the day. And I, yeah, just I rode it. You know, approached it as if it was like, you know, my head like I'm riding it like it was like a four foot wave. You know, at Croydon, you know, faded, faded a bit more. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna come off the bottom, sort of tuck up high. But I, I sort of I just went too low. I, I went too low on the wave. It was too steepy, and I lost almost too too slopy. And as I came off the bottom, I. Went a weird lump, lost all my speed, and I just couldn't. Then I couldn't get up high enough into the sort of the barrel, and I was sort of caught mid face with nowhere to go. And so I was in a good spot. You know, if I was like, like, you know, 10 feet higher in the wave, I'd have been like in the barrel, but I was just not really like a really bad spot, you know. So it's kind of like a, a kind of, it just wasn't the best line, you know. Yeah, and, but you, once you commit to to that, you know, and, the, and those sort of ways, it's like it's again, it's like all or nothing. So, um, and I knew it. It went from like the best looking wave. I was like mind surfing it as I was going to get barreled to like shit. Like I'm going too slow. I'm too low. Like and I'm I'm not going to make this section now. <laughs> like I seen it wall up and I was like feathering and it and it. I thought it was going to stand and double up and just go just a crazy one section you know like one and then I could have just gone through that and it would have been like even if it wasn't in the brow it have been in the pocket but it just it went from looking like that to lining up like really long line and um yeah I was committed and then I was in trouble and very rarely just jump off but like instinct does like shit it's got to get off the board you know if I get hit now with my feet in the straps like it's the, the boards are like 12 kilos I was like I don't want to snap my ankles off or so I just jumped off the board and I didn't even hit the water as I as I sort of jumped off into like a ball the wave landed literally inches behind me and it just must have just like pushed like blew me out you know and where I, was, where I was expecting sort of, you know, like that wallop impact, you know, getting thrashed around. Um, I was just, there was just no impact. And I was just, I, didn't, I couldn't work out where I was in the wave. I was just like, that's weird. There's, there's no impact. There's no impact. And then I was like, shit, maybe like, I don't know if you've ever been sucked over the falls and you have that moment of weightlessness. Yeah. 
I thought, I was like, oh, maybe that's happening. And I was like, shit, I shouldn't have jumped off my board. Maybe I should have, like, ridden in the barrel and not jumped off. And I was like, yeah, but I should have hit now. And and I just couldn't, my mind was racing. I couldn't place myself where I was. And as I began to relax is when then I, like, it was like hitting concrete. You know, like, it must have been like, and I didn't know at the time I was flying, like, out. But, you know, I just landed. I watched that. Um, I watched the video, and the first time I was thought, "How did he break his back doing that?" But then when I watched it back again, and it just looks like a cannonball getting shot. Yeah. And, and then coming. And out, then as I like, yeah, so then I hit the flats. It probably I don't know, like fuck knows how fast I was going, but and um, from quite a high, so it's probably like you know jumping quite high onto concrete, you know, onto your bum, not not onto your feet, you know. Um, and I landed bum first and instantly knew like I was like, like it was just such a bone rattler. Yeah. And um I was like fuck and I was in quite like instantly I was like shit. I didn't even get to like pull my inflatable vest. I was just like, fuck, that's that is that's not good. In knew, knew instantly, you know, like you know, like things happen, you're like I was like, fuck, that's not like that's my session done done today. You know, and um, got ragdolled for a bit and sort of came up, got like half a breath and then got another wave on the head. And that time I managed to pull my vest so I came out quicker and then they, and they rescued me. And then, I, and then, yeah, he took me to the beach and and then it was just, I knew again, you're like... You still move your limbs at that point? I could move my feet, but I just, yeah, I just knew, you know, like I just... The, and we're like I'm pretty sure that you know and they they, we went straight into like a spinal from from the second that I got into into the shore you know and that was through my own like okay boys I'm pretty sure this is you know and they're like okay right so you know stabilise me neck brace cut the works off you know all that sort of all this shit how long did you stay in hospital in Portugal for? I was in hospital for a week and then they discharged me and I was in the hotel for a bit in Nazare and then um and then I got like medivaced through my insurance to Manchester. So yeah, definitely experience. And it was it was like I was really fortunate, um you know, like they had the scans in Portugal and they're like, you know, compression fracture, you know, here's a body brace. Um, walk around, lie down, don't, don't, don't sit. It was basically what they said. See you later. <laughs> um, but luckily, uh, Red Bull sort of they were they sort of put it together. So I I flew back to um, Manchester, lying down. So it was like a you know a medivac to Manchester, and then went straight back in and and went and saw a back specialist in Manchester. Who um, re re X rayed me, scanned me, and sort of um, made them made a sort of plan, back rehabilitation plan. You know? Did you tell him what the Portuguese guys had told you? Like, yeah, just just don't sit down too much. Well, <laughs> do, do you know, the thing is, like, I suppose it was like, what can they do? You know, like, um, and I think that's the trouble with some like, especially if you did that here in the NHS, you know, like, 
what you know it's a bone you know you've broken it you know but it's what I suppose the difference with when I got to Manchester is they're treating me like an athlete you know like and it's like okay right this is what you've done um, in nine months you can be here if you do X, Y, Z yeah. at these times and we'll, we'll we'll measure your progress and tell you if you can go harder or if to slow down you know and that was really you know it was really sort of it was, I kind of liked it you know like knowing you know like it must have given you a bit of confidence knowing well yeah. I've, got, I've got this injury and these people are willing to put the time and effort to look after me to get and me back to where I want to be and just tell me what to do you know like and that's in tell me where you are and uh, it's really, it it helps, you know. Um, and then again, like like I, I don't quite like training rehab, you know. Just I have that process of like, fuck, turn off the surfing brain, you know, turn on the rehab brain, <laughs> and just do what you're told, like, and do everything you can. When did uh, when did Blakey start working with you? Or you just I've known I've known Timmy and Blakey have been like hanging out. We've known each other since we were kids, you know. So late teens. Um, early but he 20s. must he must have been quite a um, significant part of your you know your rehabilitation because I know you're quite close, aren't you? Yeah. So yeah, you know, it's great that we both really enjoy training and um, becoming you know better at whatever whatever we're doing and. We really enjoyed, you know, I've learned so much from him, but, you know, you know, he's learned loads of those from me with the underwater breath training and things like that. And like, and he's just, you know, he's so he's knowledgeable and passionate about something. Again, like passionate about what he does. And I think that, again, that's like, it's key, isn't it? So like, to, to success. <laughs> Yeah, someone. I, I was speaking to one of my friends the other day because you know um, I've talked about this before on the podcast where you know I'm in the last few months of my my my, my career at the moment in the military and um, they're like he he said that if you want to get into something, make sure you do something that you're passionate about. Yeah, because there are lots of people in this world that go to a factory job, go to a job that they don't particularly enjoy doing, but they get paid a wage at the end of it and they go home. And then not happy. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, we were talking about before mental health, depression, all these sort of things. They, they're they a culmination of, you know, what you're putting into your own life. And if you don't change it, well, whose fault's that really? It's kind of yours. Yeah. And, and you like, you know, you like to blame, obviously, everything else or like other external things. But it really, you know, it is, you know, you're like, we have choices, don't we? You know, and yeah, sometimes the, tr- the trouble is, is that I think we sometimes value money too much, or or things that you don't need, you know, rather than actual happiness experiences. <laughs> yeah, experiences. Yeah. I, I think, uh, well, I guess it's everybody's niche. But I used to love travelling. Uh, I used, to, I, I spent five or six years, you know, whenever I had the free time, going to Indo. And travelling around there, I went to G-Land. I spent a load of time in the jungle with like some of the local guys there. Yeah. And they, they were good friends of mine for for a bit. You know, I stayed at their house and stuff. And, and having those experiences has probably made me more of an individual and happy with myself to be on my own. Yeah, okay, we do need, 
you know, your family and the friends around you. But unless you're actually happy with yourself to start with, then you can't really develop anywhere else, can you? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, like, yeah, I think, I think, you know, like, yeah, for, for the whole time, you know, like I've learned that passion, passion is key. Just being around people who, who are passionate about things and, but people that are like-minded as well. Yeah. Because you bounce off each other then too. Yeah. But it's also, you know, like whatever, like, you know, like, you know, like going back to working as a plumber and working with guys that were passionate about plumbing, you know, and and me not being, you know, they're probably, you know, like those guys, yeah, that they, you know, they weren't working, they weren't plumbing, they, they, were, they, they were loving it, you know, like, they, and so it doesn't matter what it is, you know, um, but, it just yeah, it's, it's, it's key, isn't it? What have you got on the uh, on the cards coming up? Have you got anything you know you're looking forward to? Or um, I don't, you know, just enjoying enjoying surfing and um, making the most of opportunities. You know, however big or small that, that come along. I'm working work with some some great film projects at the moment and. Um, one's called Savage Waters, which we've been work. We yeah, it's been sort of going on, like going on for a, for a few years now, but that's sort of coming to an end. So hopefully that will be out um, early next year, which is quite an exciting one. It's about adventure. Um, been going around on around Europe on um, on a on a catamaran. Uh, a friend's got a catamaran and um, Hecate. Uh, which is currently in the Azores, so we'll probably kick that off. And it's the final sort of chapter now. We've we've been in Ireland on it. Went to sailed it down to Nazare and then around the coast of Portugal, some islands, and then down to Madeira and Canaries. We were down just before the COVID lockdown scenario. We were in um, Cape Verde's. That's amazing. Yeah, I've heard some good things about Cape Verde. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I recommend it. Definitely. Um, a few of the islands around there. It's really good fun. And then sailed it back, or I didn't, but Matt Knight sailed it back to the Azores because he was stuck in Cape Verde's for quite a while because there's no flights leaving there. So he had to sail back to the Azores to get a flight back to the UK uh, last month. Okay. So we're going to kick that back off again there. So that's, you know... And, you know, like opportunities of that, you know, like working on that project, you know, 10 years ago, wouldn't have dreamed about, you know, <laughs> having the, the opportunity to do that. You know? it's, like, it's really, feel really lucky, you know, to be doing things like that. But, um, yeah, and making the most of that, enjoying that. You know? Yeah, it's all about right place, right time, isn't it? Yeah, and realising opportunities, you know, like opportunities come in lots of different shapes and sizes you know and you know some aren't as obvious and others sort of like staring you in the face on that you know and, um but yeah yeah making the most of it and um yeah focusing on i think like i i was focused on sort of you know obviously the the big the you know getting that biggest wave of the year or world record and i think to sort of focus less on putting pressure on that and just if you just focus on like enjoying and being in the right place that it will naturally happen yeah you know rather than focus on the, the biggest goal is yeah and you put 
So then you, you just you, you end up not enjoying it sometimes, or, or like feeling like you never do enough. You know, yeah. like always feeling like oh, oh you know, like especially when you put the the effort and the time into you know trying to force what you want to happen. Yeah, and then when you don't get the result that you want, then you give it like that. You get so you get so down on it, and so and there's a lot of pressure. And so I was just trying to like did some sports psychology stuff, and and uh, you know, in trying to enjoy the process, you know, like and putting yourself putting effort into that process of like one enjoying the surfing, being in the right time, the right place, and you know, if you if you're getting these two ones down, and you and you're putting time into that, then you know, if this will happen, it will happen, you know. You can't. There's nothing you can do. You know, so sort of focusing on that. And you also heavily rely on nature as well to give you what. Well, you that's need. it. You know, like so. It's, it's yeah. It's it's, it's 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 a hard sport to sort of sometimes get those goals. You know. Andy, I think we'll uh, we'll wrap it up there. Come mate. on. Thank Thanks you so very much no, for uh, thank coming you. on and talking. For Appreciate it. Definitely uh, learnt a lot from what you're talking about. Different being, you know, having having the sport or surfing as, as like one of your passions, but you don't really see the other side of it, you know, like the big wave surfing, because, you know, we all watch the clips and stuff on, but we never see or hear about the background stuff that actually makes it happen. So, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's super interesting. Oh, cool, man. Well, th- interesting. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for your time. Cheers. And that's it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Andy Cotton. If you like the episode, please share it and give me some feedback on Instagram or Facebook and search for the Grumpy Surfer podcast. Thanks for listening.